Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Chinese Premier Li Qiang says on his official visit to Ireland that the two countries should always regard each other as key cooperative partners. The United States conducted another round of strikes against the Houthi targets in Yemen. The U.S., South Korea, and Japan have conducted large-scale combined naval exercises in a show of strength against North Korea. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Chinese Premier Li Qiang says China and Ireland should always regard each other as key cooperative partners. He met with Irish President Michael Higgins and Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar on his official visit to the country. Li Qiang says China is ready to enhance cooperation with Ireland as the two countries mark 45 years of diplomatic ties. During the premier's trip, China announced a series of preferential policies, including visa-free entry for Irish passport holders. Ken Brown has more. There was some great news for the Irish economy. First of all,、uh, Premier Li announced that Irish citizens now will have visa-free travel to China. They join a list of some five European nations who were、uh, granted that recently, including Germany, Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, and France. So Irish、uh, businessmen and people can now travel to China for 15 days visa-free. We also heard an announcement that Irish beef. There will be a resumption of、uh, Irish beef exports to China. Very important. To the Irish agri-food industry here in Ireland,、uh, Ireland is actually the only country in the EU that has a trade surplus with China. Bilateral trade is worth around 25 billion euros. 15 billion euros of that goes from in goods and services from Ireland to China, including、uh, microchips. Ireland replaced the United States as the biggest. Provider to China from the Intel factories that we find here. China has invested some 10 billion dollars here in Ireland.、Uh, companies, over 40 of them, like Huawei, like TikTok, like Uxi Biologics, all of those are here in Ireland. TikTok alone provides some 3,000 jobs.、Uh, very positive for the local Dublin economy, the Irish economy in general. That was Ken Brown reporting from Dublin. Now, more for, for more on this, we're joined by Dr. Yao Shujie. He's Changkang Professor of Economics at Chongqing University. Thank you, Dr. Yao. It's good to have you back on the show. Hi, Liu Kun. Now,、uh, Dr. Yao, China is Ireland's largest trading mar- partner in Asia Pacific region.、Um, you've been living, you know, near Ireland for quite a long time. I mean, how important are trading in goods and services to both sides? And What are some of the common goods that flow between the two? Yeah, China in in Ireland is the the so-called、uh, trading one is the trading side, one is the fully energetic、uh, trading small countries, fully open、uh, country where trade and services account for、uh, a few times of Ireland's GDP.、Mm. Um, and and Ireland is fully fully open. It used to be one of the leading country in the European Union, and now become the richest country, one of the richest country in the world. So they benefit from、uh, the, the openness of the Irish economy, and because China is the largest trading nation in the world, so the、uh, the bilateral relationship between Ireland and China by nature is very important. The other issue is that China and In, in Ireland, they are their trading are highly complementary in terms of the the, the the goods and services between the two countries. In terms of goods,、uh, China has this uh, uh, electronic components,、uh, manufacturing goods、uh, such as the, the 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 you know household goods, electronic product,、mm-hmm. etc. And the Irish they export agro business product, agricultural product,、mm-hmm. for example, like dietary、uh, product, and which is very important. But、uh, Irish is now Ireland now become the manufacturing hub of many、uh, high end industries, particularly the、uh, in you know the electric circuit,、right. uh, the chips you mentioned,、uh, lots of、uh, multinational companies set up their branches. In Ireland to produce chips 
and also in the computer software. These are the most important export items uh, from Ireland to China. So this is why the, the two countries have a huge degree of complementarity. Mm-hmm. And Irish, um, the Irish country, the government has been fully open Monday. Uh, and this is why uh, Ireland compared, for example, like Britain, is far more far more open and, and fairly easy to get business done compared uh, to Britain, where the political consideration is much more than in, in the island. You know, by nature, I think China-Irish relationship would signify that the openness for the Chinese to go to, to the European Union, uh, starting with the you know Germany, France, and the Netherlands, and now to 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 the island. Mm. It's very important. Another country that China is willing to intellectually open the border to the Irish people to travel to China. Right. So indeed, Ireland is very influential um, in terms of uh, high-end technology, as mentioned. Now, uh, Professor Yao, this year marks the 45th anniversary of official diplomatic relations between the two sides. Um, Briefly, politically, how much trust and understanding are there for the two sides? I mean, in my view, the the China-Irish relationship has been built a very strong degree of mutual trust. Mm. You know, despite that Ireland is a very small country in terms of the population size, with only four to five million people, in the Chinese, uh, you know, standard, it is really small. But in terms of the political and economic significance, uh, Ireland is far more than the population reflect. And, um, you know, for the last 45 years, there's almost no, uh, you know, direct confrontation between China and, and Ireland terms of different ideological uh, struggle mm-hmm. uh, or other you know, you know, racial issues. So uh, I think Ireland is probably one of the, the friendliest uh, countries in, in Europe, uh, Western Europe, in this case with China. Mm. Well, um, Professor Yao, as you said, uh, Li Qiang uh, announced that China will apply unilateral visa-free policy to Ireland to facilitate personal changes, uh, exchanges between the two countries. I mean, uh, in making this decision, what do you think uh, might be some of China's considerations? Well, um, it, you know, most people, they find it quite difficult to understand why China has to open the border in electoral. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it is very easy to understand in terms of the willingness of Chinese, the Chinese leadership and the Chinese people want to open the, the, the Chinese economy. And because by by uh, you know willingly having this uh, intellectual openness, actually uh, China taking a very positive attitude that um yes we are we are very willing to have international cooperation. And one of the a key component of international cooperation is people uh, flow between countries. Right. Uh, business travelers, tourism. The more they come to China, the more they understand China. And um, the, some of the, the, the most difficult issue between China and uh, some Western countries is because the lack of understanding. Mm. And by uh, opening the door, I think more and more people going to China, they see what China is doing, uh, people are more or less happy with the government uh, having a much improved uh, you know, living standards, and and it's very easy to trouble within China the you know, the kind of uh, you know development which is nearly uh, so rapid that most foreigners, even they did if they didn't come to China, they could not realize how big the changes that China has done over the last four decades. Mm. So by opening the door. I think more and more Western tourism or, or business uh, investors, they come to China understanding the, the culture, the change. They will be more willing to have cooperation and investment uh, between their country and China. Mm. Now, Professor Yeo, as you said, uh, Ireland is an uh, important exporter of uh, high-end technology, especially um, uh, computer chips. And Irish media reported that the chip industry in Ireland is becoming a victim of U.S. restrictions on chip exports to China, and chip exports from Ireland to China have fallen. Um, So help us understand the background of this, and how do you think Irish government might approach this issue? 
Yes, um, uh, you can just uh, quickly look at the bilateral trade figures. Mm-hmm. In 2022, um, the bilateral trade between China and, and Ireland is then uh, 26.6 billion US dollars. Mm-hmm. And for a small country like Ireland, this is a fairly, fairly large number. Right. Um, and, and the increase over the previous year, 2021, 23.6%. But in the first uh, five months of last year, 2023, yes, indeed, you see a significant drop in terms of bilateral trade. Mm-hmm. But although the absolute level is still very high. Um, and this is probably uh, I'm most likely due to the extrusion of the cheap export to China. And this is, could be affected by the U.S. Uh, you know, you know, uh, aligning uh, strategy to contain China's cheap industry. Right. But I, I, in my personal view, I think this is probably a short-term phenomenon. Uh, in the longer term, people will see the potential uh, benefit of uh, dealing with China in terms of trade. And by, by closing the door, by not allowing some uh, you know, competitive advance, uh, product to be exported to China, they lose the market. And business people, they will know if they lose market, they lose profit, and they lose to their uh, potential competitors. This, this is not going to be a very wise decision. Mm. So this bit by uh, primarily Li Qiang to, uh, to doubling, I hope that they would have a better understanding. And maybe in the future, the Irish government will also have more visit to China and they should negotiate how to bypass the U.S. restriction. Even the U.S. itself, the lots of U.S. bond companies, mm. they funded the government's action of restricting export to China uh, is something not really very wise. Mm. So uh, I think even the U.S. government, uh, the U.S. multinational companies, they have branches in Ireland. They will have to reconsider uh, uh, how, to, how to oppose China, how to get the benefit of trade with China. Right. Now, Professor Yao, we have about uh, 30 seconds. Um, but uh, um, briefly, so why is Ireland uh, attracting so much investment? For example, you know, companies like TikTok uh, and Pinduoduo are investing a lot in the country. Yeah, because there is a significant need in Ireland. And China has some uh, competitive advantage in uh, the manufacturing of uh, many things, including those controlled by uh, Huawei and also TikTok, which is now a, a multimedia company, which is highly popular in the West. Mm. Well, thank you uh, for your time and for a very detailed analysis on the relations between China and Ireland. That was Dr. Yao Shujie, Changkang Professor of Economics at Chongqing University. Coming up, U.S. conducts another round of airstrikes on Houthi targets in Yemen. You're listening to World Today. Stay with us. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In the world today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. The United States conducted another round of strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen on Wednesday, as the militants claimed their second attack this week on a U.S.-operated vessel. Meantime, the U.S. government has again identified the Yemeni group as a terrorist organization. Sarah Coase has more. The Houthis, they remain defiant, saying that it will not stop these attacks. They will continue these attacks on any ships traveling toward Israel, any Israeli-owned ships, saying that they stand in solidarity with the Palestinians, saying they will not stop until Israel pulls out of Gaza. Look, we also heard from Iran's foreign minister. He is warning the United States not to tie their destiny to the fate of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, adding that Washington's support for Israel 
Israel is the root of insecurity in the region. What this designation really means is that any Houthi money in the United States will be frozen, they'll be cut off from the global banking system and any Houthis will not be allowed into the United States. But what aid groups are extremely worried about is that it will actually affect the civilian population. Uh, We do know, of course, that Yemen is in the midst of this 10-year civil war and two-thirds of the population rely on aid. That was Sarah Coase with the report. Now for more, I earlier spoke with Dr. Wang Jin, Associate Professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. United States conducted a new round of airstrikes against the Houthis in Yemen on Wednesday. Um, how do you think this will impact you know, Houthis' uh, further actions? I think it's a very dangerous move because mm-hmm. uh, now it is a very third uh, consecutive uh, military actions taken by United States and also by uh, by the UK uh, to the targets of Yemen Houthi controlled areas. Uh, it's, it's suggested that uh, the military pressure from United States and uh, the UK naval force in the, in the Red Sea uh, towards the Houthi controlled areas and Houthi's military power will continue. That is a very dangerous move because the Houthi they uh, they hope to give the power. The, the pressure to Israel to suspend the Israeli's military actions in the Gaza Strip by our targeting and uh, uh, and 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 taking the the, the the passing by the ships with the close connections with Israel uh, to their own hostages. Mm-hmm. But then, with intervention of the United States and the UK, especially with their very provocative and active military actions. Uh, in the Red Sea, it means it suggested that the the bilateral or the multilateral uh, tension in the Red Sea would escalate. This is a very dangerous move because the United States and the UK they show the the, the way of protecting the Red Sea uh, based upon the principle of active military action uh, 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 of attack rather mm-hmm. than the very defensive measure. So I think that is why this round of the military action taken by the United States uh, towards the Houthi will not, not, will not end the war and end the tension, but further escalate the tension and escalate the crisis and create more sense of uncertainties in this region. This is a very dangerous move, we have to say that. So how, how do you evaluate the current situation in the Red Sea regarding the safe passage of uh, commercial and trade vessels? Uh, I think the, the situation actually in the Red Sea uh, becomes a very, very new, dangerous starting point for the region because, on the one hand, the conflict, especially uh, provoked and further escalated by the United States and the UK uh, towards the Houthi, means that nobody will be safe in this region and it will lead to further uh, possibilities of uh, wars and uh, maybe larger scales of attacks uh, between each other and make the, the, the Red Sea. Uh, uh, unsafe. And on the other hand, we have to know that the Red Sea is a very, very important uh, international economic and transportation channel, especially connecting the Europe, uh, the Africa and uh, and Asia. So that is why uh, uh, after this round of uh, the crisis erupted in the Red Sea, the world economy will be further impacted. And also the regional countries, their economic situation will be also uh, in- impacted, especially the regional country uh, such as Jordan, such as Sudan, such as Egypt, uh, with the coastal areas of the Red Sea and their economic uh, heavily dependent upon the very uh, healthy and, uh, and, and the fluency uh, sh- ships passing in the Red Sea. So I think in the future, that is why in the future, the Red Sea situation will be get the attention from international society and also will uh, be impacted uh, by other uh, the states and external actors, their attitudes to the region, especially to the ongoing Israel and Palestinian war. So as, as you said, uh, the U.S. is arguably the most consequential player in the region um, and on the Red Sea issue. So uh, what should it do? In other words, it hasn't done to stop, uh, you know, the tensions in the Red Sea. Yeah, I think I think the most important thing that uh, the international society should do, or maybe the United States try to develop or explore is to try to explore and build a very uh, direct or the very workable uh, communication channel 
between United States, between the UK and the Houthi, because right now、mm. the different、uh, parties, especially between United States and the Yemen Houthi, they try to get used to each other. Uh, through the military actions, because、uh, before this round of the military confrontation,、uh, they have no direct contacts. They don't know how the, each other would work and how their、uh, military ways will work and how to get used to each other. So that is why、uh, during the past weeks we witnessed the escalation of military actions between the two sides.、Uh, and also, given the fact that United States did not and、uh, uh, does not recognize the legitimacy of Houthi and even try to define it as a so-called terrorist group,、mm-hmm. and also the Houthi does not、uh, recognize the United States' legal rights and legal、uh, status in the Red Sea, so actually both、uh, neither of them recognize the other side. So they have no direct communication channel. So based uh, based uh, uh, on this uh, uh, this fact that it is very easy、uh, that the both sides would would uh, uh, give the very misunderstandings towards each other.、Mm-hmm. So I think that is why in the future in international society, especially the regional countries, they could do something to try to construct and build a very workable and very efficient、uh, communication channel for the different sides. To help pacify the tension on the one hand and melt down the misunderstandings to to decrease the possibilities of further escalation of tension in the region. Well,、uh, what do you think?、Uh, regional powers like Egypt, who are quite influential on this issue, what do you think they should do to to safeguard these、uh, passages of the the commercial vessels? I think Egypt、uh, is important, as you say. Egypt,、uh, as a regional country,、uh, neighboring the Red Sea, is very important. And also Saudi Arabia, we cannot forget, it is also very important.、Mm. Jordan and he has their 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 port, Aqaba port, but port in the Red Sea are also important. So that is why everybody focuses upon the the, the 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 ongoing situation and transformation in the Red Sea. Uh, but we have to know that on the one hand, that these Arab states they、uh, they are not able to stand out very directly、uh, because the now the、uh, the Houthi、uh, they started to、uh, to attack、uh, the, the the passing ships with a close connection in the Red Sea due to the the excuse that they hope to give the pressure to Israel. So actually, these moves that get the support in a lot of the public opinion inside these Arab states, especially in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, many people、uh, show their sympathies、uh, to the to the Houthis' military action. But on the other hand, that is、uh, after United States and especially after United States and UK intervention,、uh, the situation in the Red Sea become unsafe, become more and more dangerous. That leads to the worries of these regional countries. So they hope to find ways. To pacify the tension, but they were not able to join the 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 the, the fleet, international fleet led by the United States, and they don't want to also to join the the to to organize the international、uh, fleet that to try to prevent the tension、uh, between the different sides. So that is why I think in the future they should do more to try to work together with United Nations and other、uh, maybe international powers. To find way out to establish very very important communication channels with United between United States and Houthi. To on the one hand to send a very correct message、mm. uh, to help、uh, each side pacify the tension against each other to decrease the rivalry, and on the other hand to try to find a way out to establish the new mechanism to save to safely protect the passings and ongoing、uh, passing and going reversals in the Red Sea. I think it, they, this will be very crucial uh, the, the,、mm. the, the, the solution uh, for the future's possible、uh, escalating crisis. That was Dr. Wang Jin, associate professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Coming up, U.S., South Korea, Japan conduct naval drills in a show of strength against North Korea. And NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg keeps hyping up the China threat theory. You're listening to World Today. For more discussions, you can find us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. We'll be right back after a short break.
Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. The United States, South Korea, and Japan have conducted large-scale combined naval exercises in a show of strength against North Korea. South Korea's military confirmed the drills on Wednesday. Senior diplomats from the three countries are also meeting in Seoul this week to discuss their worsening standoff with North Korea. Earlier this week, North Korea's official news agency, the Korean Central News Agency, said the country decided to abolish its agency's handling inter-Korean affairs. Now, for more, we're joined by Yang Xiyu. He is research fellow at China Institute of International Studies. Thank you for joining us. It's good to have you back on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Now, first up,、um, what impact do you think the drills will bring to the stability on the Korean Peninsula? Well, I think the current、uh, development of the situation on the Korean Peninsula is a、uh, uh, really sad story for all of the sides、uh, surrounding this、uh, region. Simply because uh,、mm-hmm. uh, the latest、uh, trilateral military drills、uh, can only contribute to the escalation of、uh, tensions on the、uh, peninsula、uh, from the uh, in- uh, action, the interaction, the reaction. Uh, a style of、uh, cycling. When one side take a tough action, then the other take a tougher. So such an interaction、uh, make the tensions go、uh, higher and higher.、Uh, that reach a very dangerous、uh, level, and、uh, both sides are, are now in a very dangerous games. Mm, indeed, it is a very worrying situation.、Uh, also, earlier this week, North Korea raised the possibility of constitutional revision to clarify its territorial sphere and also envision a war scenario with South Korea.、Um, yep. And South- North Korea is intending to redefine the inter-Korean relations. It declared South Korea as its top enemy. So, what kind of intention? Is it by North Korea in doing so? Well, I think the、uh, the latest uh, position and、uh, a statement from Pyongyang indicates、uh, the sharp changes of those both both domestic politics and their uh, foreign uh, policies. In terms of foreign policy, they have. Completely changed the nature of the inter-Korean relation,、uh, which was which used to be a very special、uh, relations within one nation.、Mm. Uh, but、uh, the new signal sent from Pyongyang means that、uh, the South Korea and the North Korea now. Uh, step into a new phase of the relation,、uh, state to state. Unfortunately, the state、uh, against the the so-called top enemy state.、Mm-hmm. That、uh, politically means the、uh, dangerous new phase of the relation between the two Koreas, but also that will change、uh, domestic politics inside North Korea simply because.、Uh, Policy towards、uh, South Korea、uh, has been、uh, a very special policy linking domestic、uh, politics. And when they change the nature of the relation with the South, and the relative changes in the domestic politics will follow.、Mm. North Korea also announced、uh, it is abolishing its agencies handling inter-Korean affairs.、Um, so, what are the functions of these ag- agencies, and how does the abolishment、um, impact inter-Korean relations? Yeah, it's a really uh, important question. Uh, actually, uh, uh, what you mentioned,、uh, the question you mentioned, actually、uh, touches on. Uh, two aspects.、Mm-hmm. On one、uh, aspect, I mean technical te-、uh, uh, aspects that not only uh, 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 lead to some changes of governmental structure, as you mentioned,、uh, abolishing some agencies, but also uh, uh, trigger the reshuffling the uh, uh, policy making mechanism between the internal affairs.
and uh, the foreign affairs. Mm-hmm. For example, from now on, uh, all matters and affairs relating to the South Korea will turn to the foreign ministry rather than to the previous uh, abolished um, uh, agencies. Such technical uh, changes uh, will lead to the the second aspect of changes, say, um, mm. North Korea will launch a new political education movement mm. and a political policy readjustment uh, course uh, because uh, uh, so many aspects of the policy towards South really closely relate to uh, their domestic measures and educations. So therefore, from now on, not only the reshuffling of the governmental structure, but also uh, the, uh, uh, relaunch the mm-hmm. education and the political um, uh, political uh, constructions. Mm. Very briefly, um, what has changed? What has prompted such big change in North Korea's policy and South Korea's policy? Well, uh, I think, uh, first of all, from North Korea policy, uh, they will take the South Korea as their major target mm. uh, for both military preparation and uh, political measures. Mm. And that means that inter-Korean relations will go into a very dangerous phase. But on the other hand, uh, as the major allies of the United States, I think uh, the latest uh, adjustment from Pyongyang will mean two indicators. On one hand, mm. uh, U.S. will become uh, mm. one of the major uh, enemy, but also... Sorry, I have to means- stop you there, but we're running yeah. out of time on this topic. Thank you. That was Yang Xiyu, Research Fellow, China Institute of International Studies. We appreciate your time and insight. Moving on, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has again defended NATO's role in Asia by hyping the China threat theory. Speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Stoltenberg said what happens in Asia matters for Europe and what happens in Europe matters for Asia. Even though NATO is a regional and defensive alliance, Stoltenberg still touted the idea that it is not about NATO moving into Asia, but instead about the fact that China is coming close to them. So for more on Stoltenberg's remarks, my colleague Anna spoke with Zhou Bo, Senior Fellow of the Center for International Security and Strategy at Tsinghua University. In reference to China, Stoltenberg mentioned uh, NATO does not regard China as an adversary, but he highlighted China's investment in modern military capabilities. He stated that China's behavior contradicts NATO's core principle. I find this to be a very interesting perspective. So first, let's delve into your opinion on what are the current core principles of NATO as the alliance constantly engaged in and expanding its participation in wars? Well, everybody believes that NATO is a military organization. This is right, but it's not totally right, because even if you look at the website of NATO, you would find it describing itself. Uh, First of all, for political purposes, that is Western democracy. So therefore, NATO is a handy tool of the West over safeguarding its own democracy. So when NATO talks about China violating NATO's principles, probably is referring that uh, China is not uh, a Western liberal democracy. But I just wonder why China would be violating NATO's principles whatsoever. Because um, clearly, China is far away from NATO. There is a so-called tyranny of geography. And uh, what we are saying, right, Yes, sometimes Chinese ships now would be found in uh, NATO's uh, so-called sphere of influence. But all these military operations whatsoever are humanitarian in nature. Uh, be Chinese ships uh, in the uh, uh, Indian Ocean, be it uh, is sometimes uh, uh, in the Mediterranean Sea on the way to do joint exercises with Russia. But uh, these are all things. Why are we violating any of NATO's interests? I just have uh, confusions. 
He also said that this is not about NATO moving into Asia, but instead, China is coming close to NATO. Does this statement sound too familiar to you? How do you view such remarks? Is NATO portraying itself accurately as an innocent party or victim in this situation? Sometimes we do have some、uh, NATO member states sending ships to come to、uh, South China Sea, for example. But I agree that、uh, this is not、uh, in the name of NATO, but that、uh, these are、uh, independent operations of NATO members. When he talked about、uh, we being in their area, he actually is talking about、uh, PLA's、uh, presence sometimes in Europe.、Uh, for example,、uh, Chinese neighbor is really. Becoming a global trotter, so sometimes we are found、uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, which、uh, is jealously guarded by NATO as its own backyard. But why are we there? First of all, we're not constantly there. Sometimes we have to go from there to the waters of Russia, for example, to do joint exercises. It is such kind of things, or even some kind of、uh, sporadic sailing of Chinese ships. In the Bering Sea, for example, that becomes kind of a worry, yeah, to NATO. But what I want to say most is that、uh, when you look at yeah these、uh, operations, you first have to determine the nature of these operations. Yeah, we're not going there to fight anyone. We're not going there to challenge anyone. We're not there to chant any slogans. So far, all PLA's operations overseas are humanitarian in nature. And if we are on our way to the joint exercise you know, with another country, this should be fine.、Uh, China is becoming globally influential, and for a country like China, we're not only talking about safeguarding our sovereignty and territorial integrity. We also have two more missions: that is to safeguard our ever-growing overseas interests and to show the、uh, international responsibilities. And that is, explains why we, ever since 2008, have been Gulf of Aden, you know, protecting our own ships and also foreign ships. This is a perfectly blend of China's national interest and its international responsibilities. Yes, as you said, he further hyped China threat. Consequently, considering the array of so-called China threats highlighted by him, he made his conclusion that is. It's imperative for NATO to address what happens in Asia. What's your take on this? Does NATO harbor intentions of introducing conflict into the Asian region? Well, NATO has certainly changed because in the past, this、uh, was certainly not NATO's policy. Because I was involved in kind of bilateral talks with NATO, and I know they talked about how NATO didn't have a policy in South China Sea or in Taiwan Strait. So on and so forth, but now NATO is really talking about、uh, Asia Pacific a lot. But、uh, the reasons that have really drawn NATO's attention for me are just absurd. What has happened in the Asia Pacific, or even as they said, Indo-Pacific? I think the international geopolitical shift is moving towards.、Uh, Uh, Asia Pacific, and、uh, to some extent, Americans' focus on the Indo-Pacific region is actually a reflection of the importance the United States attached to this region. Yes, there is an element of U.S. trying to contain China, but that is not the whole story. So NATO actually suffers from a problem、uh, because before the war in Ukraine. NATO actually is trying to find a purpose for itself because of being so large and keeping on expansion. And what is the purpose, right?、Mm-hmm. Because NATO is the largest military organization in the world, and for a military alliance, it needs to have a so-called threat. So therefore, it has been looking for threats such as counterterrorism, so on and so forth. But counterterrorism is too small for NATO to even survive. It has to find something bigger, and now it is、uh, having Russia. Russia is not Soviet Union, but who looks most like Soviet Union? Of course, Russia. But NATO, no matter how big it is, or no matter how it will further grow, will essentially 
be bogged down in this catch-22 situation, because uh, no matter how strong it is, it won't dare to have first strike on Russia, and just to claim that Russia is a threat, which is yes the largest nuclear power in the world, but、uh, look at NATO. NATO also have three nuclear powers within the, the, this organization, and economic speaking, the combined economic strength of NATO is much stronger than Russia. So it will just be bogged down in Europe, but at the same time, it tries to look beyond Europe and looking into other regions. And this is just about excuse for it justify its own subsistence. The question is, NATO can survive. But I don't believe NATO can thrive. Let me give you an example. NATO is very old already, but it is not the oldest in the world. Actually, the longest military alliance is between Britain and Portugal, which is already over six hundred years. But who remembers this alliance, and who cares about this alliance? So NATO has no future, as I have said in my dialogue with Detzeit. A German newspaper. I said NATO is just like a zombie that is still walking. Then, based on your understanding and analysis, how do Asian countries perceive further regional intervention by NATO? How do they view block-to-block confrontation in the region? It depends on which Asian countries are you talking about. Even if China doesn't like NATO's expansion this region, China and NATO have still kept a sort of working relationship. There are still bilateral visits to each other, and hopefully one day you might still cooperate、uh, on some、uh, issues. For example, China and NATO had a cooperation in counterparts in the Gulf of Aden. And if you talk about Japan and、uh, Korea, they certainly have a kind of connection with、uh, NATO because they have to send a representative, for example, yeah, to attend NATO's meeting and so on and so forth. But I believe、uh, there is a limit of、uh, the cooperation because even if NATO wants, it doesn't have much strength. It actually can use in this region because of Russia and because of the war going on in continental Europe. And then, if you talk about uh, countries uh, in uh, Southeast Asia, I don't believe they just want NATO to come because、uh, this region compared to. The Middle East, compared to Europe, looks quite peaceful, and this is what、uh, people cherish. So nobody wants to have、uh, another juggernaut like NATO to come. But as I said before, I believe、uh, NATO is just trying to expand, or even talking about expansion, to for its own survival. I, I personally do not take NATO seriously. That was Zhou Bo, senior fellow of the Center for International Security and Strategy at Tsinghua University. This is World Today. We'll be right back. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Ren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology, and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China, and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Artificial intelligence has taken the center stage at this year's World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Topics from AI in elections to AI risks and AI regulation are among subjects discussed by government officials, business leaders, and top thinkers during the meeting. For a closer look at these issues, my colleague Xu Yawen spoke with Dr. Leo Pang, fellow on the International Society for Optics and Photonics and Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Leo, generative AI discussions have dominated private and public discussions at this year's World Economic Forum in Davos, and many sessions at the event are focused directly on AI, discussing everything from AI in education to AI ethics and AI regulation. So, which sector draw your attention and have inspired you? Well, I haven't really followed up、uh, for all the the sessions, but the, I did the. Uh, lesson to Sam Altman,、uh, his interview. I think he talked about、uh, 
well, some are like uh, the AI is uh, influencing the U.S. elections uh, and what they are going to do and uh, copyright. Uh, and also he talked about uh, uh, the GPT development, right? Uh, for, for myself, I, I think I'm mainly interested in the, the technology development and also the, the impact of uh, such technology to uh, the human society in general. You talk about Sam Altman mentioned um, his concern on how generative AI could affect elections, especially given much of its potential is still unknown. And also there were suggestions that the technology could aid in the creation of deepfakes or spread misinformation to voters. So how to ensure that generative AI won't have too much impact on voters during election campaigns? Yeah, I, I think uh, he basically saying uh, definitely AI will influence the elections. But uh, this time compared to four years ago uh, will be different, especially in terms of uh, uh, openness chat GPT, right? Because four years ago, uh, people are talking about, uh, you know, create uh, those bots on Facebook, uh, other social medias, and uh, use that uh, to uh, our Twitters, uh, now X, um, so that uh, uh, it can actually publish or say something, right? Trying to influence or create a fake stories to try to influence the, the voters. But uh, if you think about uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT or conversational AI, right? So that's a most uh, important development for the last year. Uh, for those uh, generative AI, um, you can also do the same thing. But uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, you, you can use a chat GPT to write a new story, which is uh, uh, even, especially if you want to write a, a new story in foreign language, I think chat GPT can do it really well, right? You can also use that to create uh, some uh, fake images. But uh, um, OpenAI, they have uh, already set certain constraints or rules so that, for example, you cannot really uh, create an image of a celebrity, right? You cannot say, okay, I want to create an image of uh, Donald Trump uh, doing something. No, you, you cannot do that. So um, I think he's saying this time will be different. Um, all of those companies, uh, social media companies, because they had the experience, you know, four years ago, now they are doing something. They are trying to eliminate or reduce those uh, biased or the bot created trying to influence voters, right? So it will be interesting. I, I think what he's saying definitely, but uh, we'll see, you know, this time will be different uh, from four years ago. Well, that's one of the challenges or risks facing by <laughs> um, generative AI. Um, speaking of that, I do notice industry insiders said while 2023 highlighted the AI technology's ability, this year, 2024, will be about increasing the accuracy of results. So how how do you view this problem? Like How to solve this to use generative AI accurately to ensure you get the information you want is correct? What's the best way to improve the accuracy? Well, accuracy, um, in general, when you talk about uh, deep learning, which is a branch of machine learning, so anything like machine learning, deep learning, those are like their training. The model is basically trained based on data, right? Then it will do a prediction. For such a kind of thing, it's very different from the uh, the normal programming, right? You can direct the program to do exactly what you want. Those are large language models. Uh, it cannot, right? So you can do maybe like a ninety percent accuracy. Um, you can try to improve it to ninety five percent, but there is no way you can get to you know hundred percent. Especially the last few percent, uh, it's very difficult to do it. But uh, to use a large language model in enterprise, one really common application is uh, you want to use a uh, chatbot to be your customer service, right? For example, there are ways uh, you can have the bot only say something uh, which is a fact about your product. So that's called uh, RAG, yeah, common words. You just think, think about it is uh, actually a knowledge base. So, so you basically, you can take uh, 
your product document or whatever you want the bot to see and put that into a document and give give that to the bot. So uh, in the backend, basically such information will be stored in a special database for called the uh, vector database. So it is really good to compare the similarity of the content, right? So if you ask a questions, it basically will go back to the database and really do a dot production and quickly find the, the content that's similar to your, like related to your questions. Then you actually present those content to chat GPT, just like what we are doing in open book exam, right? So basically you just give the bot the relevant content, it will read it. And based on that, it will answer your questions. So this will make sure uh, the answer will based on the knowledge you give to the bot instead of, uh, you know, just a, uh, you know, create from its own model. So the, that will definitely increase the accuracy uh, if you are talking about uh, this kind of like a chatbot uh, for customer service. As an entrepreneur, are you more excited or kind of fear of what's going to happen with the rapid development of generative AI? Because we do notice a lot of global executives say they are not ready for AI. As a business leader and also entrepreneur, what's your overall assessment on this technology? How do you see the opportunity and also the risk yeah. presented by it? Yeah, I'm actually uh, really excited. Uh, part of the reason is, uh, you know, we have been doing uh, using machine learning for the last 20 years uh, and also deep learning uh, since uh, 2016, 2017. So generated AI, uh, which is based on the transformer, which came out uh, in 2016. Um, so we are kind of like familiar with this and also we really think uh, generative AI, especially ChatGPT, is a tool that can actually significantly improve our efficiency or productivity. To me, I, I think uh, the generative uh, AI, especially ChatGPT, are not really replacing uh, people's job. It's just to make the people's uh, productivity much, much higher. That was Dr. Leo Pang. He is a fellow on the International Society for Optics and Photonics. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. A quick recap of the headlines. Chinese Premier Li Qiang says on his official visit to Ireland that the two countries should always regard each other as key cooperative partners. The United States conducted another round of strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. The U.S., South Korea and Japan have conducted large-scale naval exercises in a show of strength against North Korea. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. For further discussions, you can follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.